0: Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today, I talked to assistant running backs coach, Jennifer King. I enjoyed this conversation because it wasn't just about her being the first black female assistant coach, though that obviously was discussed. I'm interested in how she went from being on a path to coaching at a high level of basketball to then joining a different sport altogether. She chose the harder route. Why? You'll learn from her background why this is probably the route she wanted to be on all along. Also, we talked about Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, and even Peyton Barber, and more. I enjoyed the conversation. Before we get to that, a reminder that you can read my work on ESPN.com. You can also now follow me on Instagram at ESPN. I have multiple stories up now on ESPN.com about Taylor Heineke, another on Alex Smith, and what could be next in his future, as well as one on the Cheerleader Settlement. A couple things here. The settlement was reached before the end of last year, so there is no correlation between the pausing of the program and the settlement. Also, the band was paused as well. I was told by multiple people that they expect both the cheerleaders and the band to return after they start the rebranding process. As for Heineke, his two-year deal is worth $8.75 million. He was scheduled to be a restricted free agent, so if he had received a first-round tender, which he wouldn't have, it would have cost about 4.4 million. So this is basically double that amount. To give you perspective, here are what some backup quarterbacks will make this season. Case Keenum is at $7.3 million. Chase Daniel, $5.3 million. Marcus Mariota, 10.1. dollars Chad Henney, $1.625. Jeff Driscoll for Denver, 3.25. dollars Last year, Tyrod Taylor made $7.5 million. Andy Dalton was at $3 million. Nick Foles was at $6.7 million. I want to see the breakdown of the contract before saying much about the full impact and where, where it goes with incentives. And there, there again, there are incentives built in if he does end up starting, as there should be. Otherwise, it's really what it is. is It's good backup money, but not not great, but, but good. Okay. Kyle Allen is, a, is an exclusive rights free agent, so he'll be back and he won't be expensive. My understanding is that his recovery from the ankle injury is going well and he's in, on track to return, I believe, in the spring. Bottom line is if Washington had a more expensive starter, you're not keeping both Allen and Heineke at comparable money. What the Heineke signing, I think signals to me is that the that the uh, they probably won't be spending a ton of cap space on quarterback, another on another quarterback this spring uh, or this season, I should say. If Alex Smith returns, he would almost assuredly do so at a lower cap figure. Right now it's at 24.4 million. I think it'd be really hard to justify that one. People I, and I know the team has been talking to him. I don't know if they're talking about that, but I know Rivera has been in communication with him. Um, people i talk talked to in the NFL view Smith as a backup. So he really doesn't have much leverage unless he just wants to go somewhere else. I don't know that. Um, but my point is, like, I don't know, you know, if he wants to stay here. Or that's probably how it's going to have to be. If they trade for someone or even sign a free agent, it's not likely somebody with a high cap figure this year. Um, so whether it's whether that's you know whoever it is, but with Heineke Allen and whoever the other quarterback is, whether it's Smith, Sam Darnold, Tyrod Taylor, Miss Trubisky, whomever, they know they'll have three guys who, who they feel could play, and it really signals that they don't have one that they feel can play. But between the th- at least not yet, but between the three, the investment won't be prohibitive by any means, and less than a lot of teams would be spending overall. If you have a quarterback who gets paid a princely sum, you're not going to have these kind of backup. You're not going to be paying these kind of this kind of backup money. Of course, what you want is a high caliber of play. But if you can't get your guy, then build up around them and then try again next year. I'm a big believer in striking when the guy you want is available and not kind of just trying to do this in a linear fashion. However, I'm also a believer in not forcing a move just to say you got a guy. Be patient but aggressive. I do believe that's their philosophy as well. I've told you a few times that that Heineke is viewed as a backup. His his return does not change anything about their quest for another quarterback, nor should it. And you heard Ron Rivera talk about Heineke on my podcast last time. If you didn't, go back and listen to it because he did talk about him. And he, you know, he likes him, obviously. That's why he's here. That's why he got a two-year deal. But you have to keep it in perspective here. I've talked to multiple personnel guys, coaches, and others around the league, and nobody views him any other way but then as a guy who was a good story, liked him, but he's a backup. And people in the building don't even, when I talk to them, don't look at it any other way. But he's a guy that now has a chance to compete, and there's really no other way you can look at it. He hasn't proven anything other than for one game he played well against a good team, and guys respond to him. That's all good. That said, what he has earned is a chance. And if he balls out this summer, then he'll earn the job or at least become the primary backup. And But to think the problem is now solved the quarterback and they should just build around him is a bit premature, maybe preposterous, but it's definitely premature. If you want to have faith in him, that's great. Enjoy the fact that he's back. You should do that. and And, if, and perhaps it pays off. But you can't, what I'm saying is you can't assume it will, so you 1,000% 1, 1, must keep looking. Again, if he comes through and does stuff like that, that's all a bonus. Heineke said that he felt, he told us on a Zoom call, that part of his appeal, he thinks, stemmed from players seeing how he works. He said that Chase Young, for example, would see him by himself in the locker room studying his playbook. Trust me, when guys see you studying and then going out there and balling out the way he did, you'll always win them over. When they don't see it and you don't play well, they'll support you, but they're not going to go hard for you at all, and, and we've seen that here as well. I now wonder what or who's next for Washington. As I've told you, they do like corner Ronald Darby. I get asked about him. He would like to return, but there hasn't been any talks yet, so yet there on another deal. Part of the issue is that a new front office just arrived, so now they have to not only figure out who they want to keep, Front office coaches met on this last week, but they also have to decide what they want to spend and where. Heineke's deal was an easy one to complete. He earned the right to get that deal and to be here and compete for the job. We'll see where it goes from there. Regardless, it's a terrific story. Okay, well that's enough from me. I'll be back after this break with assistant running backs coach Jennifer King. Why, in some ways, she was destined to be doing what she is now. And, What it was like meeting Doug Williams for the first time. A cool, cool moment. Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with Jennifer King. Jennifer, before I get into all the other stuff, because there's so much about coaching I want to talk to you about and players that you've coached, et cetera. I am curious, though, what have the last few weeks been like for you?
1: Oh, man, it's been crazy. (laughs) Uh, A little unexpected. But, um, you know, it's been cool to, to be able to chat with different people now, so I've kind of enjoyed it.
0: What? Why did you feel it was unexpected?
1: I think for me, like, uh, you know, I'm kind of chill about everything, so I didn't really think about the magnitude of, of uh, what it would do and, you know, the opportunities it would present. So um, to me, it wasn't that big of a deal, so I didn't think everything would happen like this.
0: And that's probably why you're in the spot you're in, because you didn't realize what a big deal it was. And, again, I want to get into the other stuff. I just – I think, you know, there's a lot to talk to you about, but I am curious, like, what at what point did you realize, like, wow, this is even bigger than
1: I thought? Probably Good Morning America, you know. That was uh, that was kind of wild. I realized that, you know, this is really a big deal. So uh, I think that was kind of that moment when I realized uh, it was a lot bigger than I was thinking.
0: Well, because, like, and you even told a story when Ron told you initially that he was going to make you a full-time coach. You just put your head went down and went back to work. So yeah, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I was I was in the, the middle of doing something. He came by the office and and told me, and it was a you know short conversation. And I just kind of went back to what I was doing.
0: I mean, forget about the magnitude of what it means for because like for many females and all that, but just to go for you know in any sport from an intern role to a full time role, what did that mean?
1: Um, I mean, you know, I was a full time intern, so I was already. I felt very full-time, you know, the hours right. that we worked. So, right. uh, yeah, so I don't, I don't know if anything will change with that.
0: So you played softball, and basketball, and you were coaching in basketball. You chose the harder route to get to a high level. Why did you – what appealed about this route to you?
1: Uh, I mean, I've always loved football. And, um, you know, I was happy coaching college basketball. I was successful. But, um, you know, when I kind of – got a little taste of being able to coach football at a high level, I jumped to it. And I've been coaching football at some lower levels, middle school, high school. So it wasn't right. just like I started coaching football out of nowhere, right. but to have the opportunity to coach at higher levels really appealed to me. You know, once I saw there were some possible opportunities. And what, what,
0: what, what appeals? Cause again, you, there are a lot of sports you could have chosen. What, what did you like most about football? And I, it sounded like you were growing up, you grew up playing it too. This wasn't some new thing, but so what appealed to you about it?
1: Yeah, I don't know, because I started watching football at such a young age. um, You know, four or five years old, I fell in love with football. So I I don't, it's hard to to remember why I started liking it so much. But, um, you know, I know probably just the physicality of it and and all of the strategies as I got older and start understanding scheme. um, You know, those are things I really fell in love with.
0: What's it like to go from coaching one sport, like coaching basketball, to then coaching another sport? I mean, what things translate? in terms of coaching?
1: Yeah, I think it's a lot more alike than people think because um, the things that make you successful as far as building relationships and and being really good at what you're doing makes you good in any sport that you're coaching. And, um, you know, building those relationships have helped me be successful in football and, you know, just being prepared to coach football. You know, it's not something I hopped in not right. knowing anything about. So um, it, it was kind of a, it was a lot easier, I think, than people would think.
0: And And, and, I, well, and I think at the end of the day, I mean, a good, coach is a good teacher which should translate correct absolutely and what what kind of things did you like it was it different going from gender to gender is that a different is that different at all or not
1: it really wasn't that difficult um you know and then when you're coaching at the you know d1 and and professional level those athletes just want to be really good and they want to be coached and that's all that matters to them is you know can you build those organic relationships and just Uh, learn how how to reach each and every one of them because everyone's different and find out their style of learning and and then making them the best you can make them.
0: And and you were also a police officer too so you had not just deciding which sport you wanted to go but also which profession why did you want to go from being a police officer to being a coach?
1: Well I was coaching while I was a police officer so um, you know I left the police department when I got my head coaching job so I had to make a decision then but um, you know I really enjoyed both but you know, I'll, I'll take the hours of a coach over, you know, staying up in the middle of the night uh, chasing after people as a police officer.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. That, yes. I, I, the pay, the pay can be a little bit better too, as, as I'm sure you can see. What about like with basketball, did you have, like, what kind of chances did you have to move up there that maybe you said I could do this and go this way and get a division one job, you know, but I want to take this chance. Like, did you have opportunities to move up there? I assume.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I turned down two Division One assistant coaching jobs um, while I was at coaching at Greensboro um, just because, to me, it's all about fit. And, uh, you know, I didn't think it was the right move for me to make, even though it was appealing just because it was a Division One school, but I didn't fall in love with that. Um, I was in a great situation at Greensboro. You know, we're year and year again, we're, you know, battling for our conference championship and making it to the NCAA tournament. So, um, you know, it, it wasn't something I was just going to walk away from.
0: And when, when you were in Carolina, too, what are some of the things that you learned from coaching a guy like Christian McCaffrey that you could apply? And everybody's different. But what are some of the things you learned coaching him that you could apply here to, whether it's Antonio or J.D. or, or Peyton or whomever?
1: It, it's Christian's work ethic. Um, you know, he's not great by accident. He, he puts in so much work. He's always one of the first out at practice. And. You know, he, he's wide open the whole time. It's not like he's the superstar, so he's going to kind of, you know, go through the motions in practice. That's not him. So I think it's, it's important to really share that with everybody, how hard he works, um, just to build that work ethic and how to be a pro.
0: And how would you, you know, do you talk to guys a lot about that? Because, it, you know, I mean, you how much would you talk about that with these guys? Did you did you openly share that, or is it more something like once in a while? Would How often would you bring that up?
1: I mean, we would talk about, I usually would, I would bring it up some, and sometimes they would ask just because they're playing the same position and the same offense that, that he's did, he did, you know? So, right. um, what, you know, how did he come so, so successful doing it? So there were questions, but, um, you know, that's the thing with our group. We have a young group, so guys right. are really anxious to learn and, and to be better, which is really cool.
0: And with, with a guy like Antonio... What are some of the things that you worked with him on throughout the year that maybe more so than something else? What were some of the little things that you would work with him on?
1: I think the biggest thing with, with a lot of the young guys is just how to be a professional. You know, how do you prepare each week? Um, because the season gets really long. And if you don't have the, the proper preparation, sometimes the season will catch up with you as far as just, you know, your treatment and how you're preparing for the game plan and doing those things. And I mean, Antonio was fantastic. And you know, he really uh, made a lot of strides in his rookie season.
0: He did, and as far as like the preparation stuff, how did you see him alter that his approach or at least or maybe even just add to his approach or wh- however you wanted to find it?
1: Yeah, just putting extra time in, and you know, learning how to navigate the iPad to find everything that we have as far as extra work that they can do at home, or you know, w- watching extra film, how to watch film, and um, you know, he always had had good questions, and um, I think you know when when he saw him take off kind of in the middle of the season, I think a lot of that was you know his his habits and preparation, you know, kind of translating to the field. He
0: also had to learn a lot to play that position and I always I always felt like he was a guy that was hurt a lot by not getting that preseason just to learn how to run with at it, his it pad level, right? And learning how to, you know, cut and you know, how to read the blocks and all that. How much did you what like what are some of the little things you saw him improve at that made a big difference? And it's in addition to that preparation just on the field, what are some things?
1: Yeah, just really understanding, you know, the running back position, understanding the runs, you know, knowing, trusting that, you know, this block is going to be there, even though you may not see it initially. Um, And I think that's when running backs get really good when they understand what you're trying to do. And, you know, just because this person isn't blocked right now, you know, someone's coming and, you know, trust that, trust your track, you know, and trust the play.
0: When did you see him start to kind of when did you see that start to click for him?
1: I mean, he flashed early, you know, just because he's such an amazing athlete. He's so gifted and talented athletically that he was able to to hop into a position that he hadn't played at the NFL level, which was crazy to me. But, um, yeah, you know, I I can't remember a specific moment, but you just start seeing him getting better and better every week. You know, his production went up and, um, you know, he ended up being really fun to watch and coach.
0: Yeah. And what about J.D.? What? You know, again, he seemed to be somebody who was like kind of ready to blossom in the role he was in, given his progress throughout his career. But what are some of the little things that you learned about him and that made him have a good year?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, J.D., you know, he's not the biggest guy, but he's a dog, man. Like he's not afraid to run the inside runs or or try to run the tough runs, which is um, something that really surprised me. Just, you know, he was also a receiver. So to, to really be able to, to run those tough runs, his understanding is, is so good of the game and the position. And, you know, me and J.D. worked a lot just in the pass game because that was one of the areas he was big for. Us. So, um, you know, we, we threw and caught a lot of balls and just worked on some nuances and how to get open and, and things that we might be seeing each week.
0: And you've, you have a background of coaching receivers for Arizona in um, the um, AAF, Correct.
1: So yeah, yeah, and I worked with him on it, too.
0: Right. So right, yeah. so how did that help you work with J.D.? What are some of the things that you learned there that helped him, that you felt like that you were working with him here that helped him?
1: Yeah, it's, you know, getting open in the NFL is all about the little things. You know, everybody's fast. Everybody can run and strong. but So it's the little things and, and really just reading tendencies as far as, you know, how you're going to beat a person each and every week. Someone always has a way to get beatings kind of our job to find it and then share it with our guys and make sure they're they're comfortable and know their matchups, you know, going into the week.
0: And I remember when Chris Thompson was here, he spent some time one offseason. It wasn't a lot of time, but it was enough time to get himself to work on to learn how to get open. He would work with the receivers to learn how to get open. So he would talk about learning how to set up a guy and and yep. you know and all that. So how did J D improve there?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he improved in the air. He's so quick. And it, it's always, I think with guys who are quick, like that, it's its important not to always be quick because if you're always quick, everyone's always going to be moving at full speed. But learning how to set them up and then use your quickness for separation, I think was big for him. And um, I mean, he caught 80 balls this year. So that's, thats a, you know, that's really good.
0: You know, it's funny you say that because again, I go back to Chris Thompson because, you know, similar role, right? And one of the things he did talk about was, learning how to be more patient and not having to go as fast as you can every play, because sometimes that patience, you've got to wait for another guy to make his move to then open it up for you on the backside. Right. I mean, little things like that. It does. It makes a big difference, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, once you learn that, you know, even with the amazing athletes in the NFL, there are a lot of people who don't want to cover JD from the linebacker position one-on-one. So You know they're already a little bit nervous, and then when you're able to really use your quickness against them and make them feel even more uncomfortable, you know that's how you create separation.
0: Yeah, and what about what 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 about Peyton? I mean, being a a, basically a short yardage back most of the year, what were what was it? What did you what did you take away from his season?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I was super impressed with him just being such a great leader. You know, obviously everybody wants to play more, but he he really accepted. Um, you know, the road that he had and, you know, anytime we needed a yard, Peyton got us two or three. And that's, that's huge, you know, in the NFL. And, um, I mean, he did a great job on special teams. And, um, I think that really shows how much of a professional that he is. He was a, he was a huge, um, you know, presence in our room.
0: And how, how, so like, how, what are some of the things in the room that he would do or say Mm -hmm. that, that kind of show that?
1: I mean, he just, you know, pays one of those guys. He always answers, I mean, asks the right questions. And, you know, he's very organized and knows what's going on. And just being supportive, you know, um, just because he's had some a few years under his belt. So he was very supportive, you know, of our uh, guys in the room.
0: What did you learn from the short time that you had with Adrian Peterson?
1: Oh, uh, AP is like a pro's pro. You know, I, I love working with AP. Uh, just to be able to work with a legend, you know, and uh, right. his work ethic is is just as hard as I would expect it to be, and um, I had a lot of fun working with him.
0: Um, another guy that you that I wanted was curious about because, I, you know, I read a story that the guy, one of the players that you admired most or you know, gravitated most growing up was Doug Williams. So, what was it like for you meeting him?
1: Uh, it was crazy, just to. Uh, to meet Doug and now, you know, have a relationship with Doug. He's he's great, man. I, uh, so much knowledge and just experience. And, um, you know, anytime I get to chat with Doug, it's it's always exciting.
0: And, you know, it's funny because somebody asked him about that and he said that he didn't realize just, you know, your, I guess, um, the affection for him as a player, or whatever, as a person, because you kind of concealed that. How, what, when you meet him, what do you th- like inside? What is that like? Cause you know, like if you, you grew up and meet an idol it's always kind of a big deal. So what, do you remember that moment? Do you remember how, what you were thinking when you were talking to him?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's always one of those moments, you know, you're standing there just talking having a normal conversation, but on the inside it's like, man, this is Doug Williams I'm talking to right now. We're just, you know, hanging out. <laughs> so, it was, you know, you have that going on inside when you're trying to stay present, you know, in the moment in the conversation. And now, you know, like I said, me and Doug, uh, we have a good relationship. He's, he's a great guy.
0: And he's, he's made such an impact. Why, why do you feel like that he just had – I don't – being around him and having been able to get to talk to him, like he's, he's a really easy guy to talk to, and he's just a person that everybody that I know likes – Why do you feel like a guy like that can have such a long-term impact, not just that Super Bowl win, but he's still in a position to impact people. And then now this franchise, why do you feel that he's been able to do that?
1: Yeah, I think you hit it. He's a great person, you know, Um, that, that takes you a long ways. And our guys, you know, obviously they know what Doug did for the organization and the career that he had, but he's just a really good person. He's super easy to talk to so much experience in so many areas. So, um, I mean, having someone like Doug around is, is huge for our teams because we're super young, too.
0: Absolutely. And he also was somebody who was a first, you know, first black quarterback draft, first round, first black quarterback to play and then win a Super Bowl. Do you can you got can you relate to anything that he went to being the first black female full time assistant coach? Is that is that or is that a bit of a stretch?
1: Yeah, I think it's a bit of a stretch just because, you know, what he did and was able to accomplish was just incredible, um, and in that era as well, you know, it, that was sure. an era where it still wasn't very cool to have black quarterbacks, and right. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. So for him to do that is just it's unbelievable. And he was also, you know, he's one of those first people that I saw, you know, as a, as a black athlete on TV, like having playing the quarterback position and doing those things.
0: And you also played quarterback too.
1: Yeah, it was just kind of ironic.
0: <laughs> okay, it wasn't. What was it? Wasn't, it wasn't because you know, you know. What, what what did you like about playing that position?
1: Yeah, I kind of fell into it just because I always wanted to be a receiver and always worked out with receivers. But just, you know, I, I grew up playing softball, so I had a good arm. And okay. then my knowledge of the game, you know, just having those two things always just kind of fell into the quarterback spot.
0: So when you were growing up playing football, were you like – was this – did you guys always play? it? Is it the neighborhood games and all that? Like what was, that, what was it like for you with that?
1: Yeah, playing in the neighborhood, playing at school um you know we played a lot so it was a lot of football I had a a lot of games under my belt probably before I was about 12 years old
0: well I asked that too because I I grew up on a street where we played a lot of football I was one of the younger ones the younger ones seem to go on and do bigger things with certain things were you one of the younger ones in that group that you know I mean it just that it seems like that leads to sometimes higher achievers I guess
1: yeah, it was kind of weird because we we're all kind of the same age, like literally okay. all the kids in the neighborhood within like two or three years of each other. But I did have an older sister. And I think, you know, that definitely is the case with that, because I was always going to her games and, um, you know, practices or something, just always watching her. And I always wanted to, you know, to be better and to, to be good. And that's how I knew I had that, that kind of extra drive.
0: And when did you first did you? ever think about, you know, being involved in the NFL, for example, at that age, did you dare, when did you dare to dream that?
1: No, I I mean, I was, I was much older when I, when I thought about that, just because, you know, I I talk about representation and I mean, I didn't, I didn't see like, why would I even dream about that when no one (laughs) looks like me in the NFL? So, um, so I didn't think about that until, you know, I was, you know, an adult coaching college basketball. I was a head coach coaching college basketball when I kind of got those aspirations.
0: And what do, you, what do you feel has made you a good coach? What qualities?
1: I think one of the best things with me, which I learned um, early on in my coaching career, was just how to communicate, um, how, to, how to teach with the players. And, you know, the relationships I've built has, have been huge as far as, you know, as you said, teaching. Um, because I know you can't teach everybody the same and everyone's different. And, you know, building a relationship to, to let them know that you care about them. It's not just the sport you know, you can have a 30 minute conversation and we don't even talk about the sport. We just talk about how things are going in life and, you know, things they want to do after football. So to be able to to really organically build those relationships, I think have been huge for me just because it kind of builds a lot of trust uh, with the athletes.
0: So, so I was going to ask you, when you can connect with that, how does that help you then when you're dealing with them on the field?
1: And well, you know how to communicate with them, you know, you know what reaches them and what doesn't. And you know, what tone of voice may not work for this person that'll work for another person. And it's all about knowing them and getting a message through. And that's that's the cool thing about working in the NFL. You know, everybody's so good and, you know, want to be even better. So um being able to to share nuggets and help them out uh, is really cool.
0: And how like to get to Antonio, how different is he from J.D. and like what are some what are some little tricks or tricks or, or things that you learned to say, okay, Antonio, like how would Antonio like to be coached versus J.D.? And how would you get to one versus the other?
1: Yeah, I mean, Antonio's a younger guy, so you got to know, you know, I don't have to yell at any of them because they're professionals, which is right. cool. You know, and obviously dealing with some of my kids in college, you know, my tone had to be a little more stern <laughs> yeah. uh, than, than these guys. But, um, yeah, I mean, they want to know, you know, how can they be better? You know, or how? How what happened on the play? That you know, how can it be better next time? Or you know, anything like that? And just to to have that relationship where I can tell them or show them, and you know, we move on from it. And it's it's important to move on, just from the NFL. And that's one of those things we have to learn. You know, with some of our guys, just being able to move on from situations.
0: And the the other thing too that I was wondering, Jennifer too, like you know, when you go when you have a new coach or you come in from you know from a different level, guys seem to want to test coaches you're coming from a different sport i mean put aside the fact that you're a female but you're coming from a different sport how you know they may not know all your background so wh- did you feel that they ever tested you and that you passed these te- you're not even here but when you first started doing it like did you ever encounter those kind of situations
1: no i think the biggest test i have you know or or have had is really just um you know what, anybody, what you can get away with, what you can't get away with, you know what, that's always yeah. going to be there as a coach. But, um, you know, and I think the funniest thing is just the jokes. You know, like if they say a joke, you know, am I going to say something back or how am I going to take it? That's always the thing I think is funny, you know, especially working with guys. They, they clown you right. on something. Are you going to fire it back? And, you know, I grew up in a household where, you know, we, we clown each other all the time. So I'm quick to, to fire right back if someone says something.
0: <laughs> so how big, how many siblings?
1: Yeah, I just have one older sister, but, you know, my mom and dad both have, you know, a, a okay. bunch of brothers and sisters. So it was always, you know, a lot of people at family functions.
0: And, and we, you know, so you, and you kind of develop a quick tongue that way, don't you?
1: You have to. If you're weak, you'll get eaten alive. You know, my family. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I like I said, I was a fourth of five. And so you learn how to survive that way when you're young. And again, on our street. I had, I was playing, you know, we're playing sports with kids who are five, six years older at the time. You don't realize, you don't think twice about it. Then When I'm older, I'm thinking, you know, they were putting me in goalie when we play hockey in the backyard or something like that, or kill the man with the ball. (laughs) Like I'm playing, you know, and like at the time you're just doing it and like, okay. And then later you're like, they could have, they could, they really could have killed me. So.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I grew up playing basketball with grown men, so you know, they, they throw you in the fire and once they figure oh, yeah. out that you're, you're decent, they don't care that you're a little kid. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. That, right. I mean, but that, how much did that help you improve doing that?
1: I was huge. I mean, I think that's one of the things that made me so successful as an athlete and as a coach, um, was just having those experiences. You know, when I was in high school, I played in the summer basketball league full of, ACC, you know, and SEC players, and I'm 16 years old. So, wow. I mean, you have to be better to be able to to compete out there. And you know, just experiences like that just made you so much better as a as a player in person.
0: And what did you learn just playing for like in professional football? DCD was in, the, in professional. What did you learn there that helped you even as a coach?
1: I mean, it's you know, you're just learning new things, and everyone's different. So, I think the personalities is the the biggest thing of of coaching. I think sometimes it's not, uh, it's not. People don't think it's important. It's just knowing every single person. And obviously, playing women's football, you know, there are a lot of personalities with a women's team. More. So how do you communicate with everybody?
0: What are where the personalities stronger there or in the, in professional football or in the, in the in NFL? You know, it's-
1: it's probably, they're probably much more stronger than the men, which is hilarious. But, um, yeah, I think it's sometimes it's tougher in women's football than the NFL.
0: That's, well, that's kind of funny. You also played basketball in Australia. What was that experience like?
1: Yeah, that was, uh, oh, man, it was amazing to be able to, to see Australia and play some basketball and, um, you know, to experience a, a totally different um, culture while playing basketball was super cool. And you realize how, how much alike you are. Versus different, just because you're on the other side of the world, they're still basketball players and still the same game, which is was really cool.
0: Did you have you talked to Lori or MJ with with the Bucks yet?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I had to. I mean, I had been flooding them with messages leading up to the game, just because I was so excited for them. And um, yeah, I had a chance to to uh, send MJ a message after the game, and I had a chance to speak with Lowe yesterday.
0: What what that that's that was what what is that feeling like? What did they say it's like to win a Super Bowl?
1: I mean, it's it's as unbelievable as you think it would be. You know, yeah. just to I think you may, maybe they still haven't realized how cool it yeah. is I'm to sure to win that game. Yeah, what, so happy
0: for. You. And then just to kind of wrapping up your story too, like you know, you talked when you talked with us on Zoom, you talked about some some little girls maybe reaching out to you or something like that. What have you heard from people? since you, you know, the news about you getting the full, you know, the full, full, full-time job, what is it, what, what have you heard from people, or maybe is there something that's kind of touched you the most?
1: Yeah, I mean, they continue to come in as far as, you know, people saying that their daughters saw a story, you know, about me or one of the other females in the league, and now they, they want to play football, they're interested in football, or, you know, there's things like that, there's things that you know, never would have happened if they if that representation wasn't there um, for them to see. So I think the coolest thing is now you have you can have girls growing up wanting to play football and coach football instead of having to, you know, do something else and then move into it later like we all did.
0: And is there a way like, you know, you talk about like with Ron Rivera having reached back and you know people reaching back. Are there do you have, do, you know, how do, do you have plans to help do that or how do you go about doing that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm always, you know, open to give advice if people have questions and, um, you know, help when I can. Sometimes I don't have the time to really do it. But, you know, in the offseason, I've definitely already, you know, responded to some messages that people had. So um, it's important, you know, to reach back. You know, I'm here because somebody reached back. And a lot of my other coaching opportunities were because someone reached back. So it's only right to to pay it forward.
0: How much how excited are you for even like, you know, you guys, the way you guys finished the season, and being part of this going forward, all that, how excited are you for, for what can happen this off season, whatever you guys add, and then getting back to spring ball training camp and all that. And just to build on the momentum that you guys finished with.
1: Yeah. We set the bar high for ourselves, which is good, you know, to have those expectations. Now, I think we came in last year. I mean, other than the people in our building, no one expects us to do anything. (laughs) And, you know, to, to finish the way we did and, um, you know, we really set a lot of momentum for next season, but you know, it's the NFL. So what we did last year doesn't matter next season. So it's important to, to really use that momentum to get better and better. And uh, you know, I'm excited. I'm ready to, to get back already, but sure. um, you know, I think, I think we have a, a really good chance to be really good next year.
0: Where would you like, where, as far as the player goes, where would you like to see Antonio take that next step?
1: Yeah. Just continue to becoming a, you know, a better back and, you know, understanding all of the runs that we have and, um, you know, just using his natural abilities to to make those plays once he understands, you know, totally what's going on.
0: So and la- I want last thing here, Jennifer, and I appreciate you taking so much time out here. And I enjoyed talking to you when when you look at like your background, you've coached and played different positions. What is your what is your goal here in this industry?
1: Yeah, I mean, for right now, it's to to be the best assistant running back coach yeah. I can be. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, coach always talks about being where your feet are. And I think that's super important you know, in the coaching business um, just to continue to grow where you are and and don't make too many plans ahead. You know, you'll find yourself without a job. So, um, you know, that's really what I'm focused on right now. And, you know, we'll see what happens in a few years.
0: Very good, Jennifer. I tell my kids that the same thing, whatever industry they're in, that's always the most important thing. Focus on what you do and do it well and people will notice and you'll move up.
1: Absolutely. There you go.
0: Jennifer, I appreciate you taking some time out. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks, man. It's been nice.
0: That's it for this episode. Thanks to Jennifer King for coming on, and also a shout-out to Jesse Johnson from the Washington PR staff for lining it up. And thank you, as always, for listening. I'll be back Monday with another episode, taking a deeper look at some quarterback possibilities for Washington. Talk to you next time.